Hey, it's Sean Fennessy, one of the hosts of the Prestige TV podcast. HBO's Barry is back for a fourth and final season. And that means I'll be back recapping the show with co-creator and star Bill Hader to dive deep on the themes, scenes, and major moments in the series. Bill will provide insight into how every episode was made and why it's ending. New Prestige TV Barry recaps will go live every Sunday night when the episode ends. So make sure you're subscribed to the Prestige TV podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. One thing you don't have to worry about cleaning up this spring season, your wireless bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. It's easy. And right now, they have unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. For first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, the true detective of the day country. It's Andy Greenwald. Which country do you prefer? I love that country. Do you? Yeah. Are you a creature of the night country? Yeah, whenever you're like, I need my vitamin D, I'm like, not me, bro. That was a good me imitation. (laughs) That is literally how I feel on the inside, so I I, I welcome that. Great to see you. Uh, We're recording this on a Wednesday. Uh, Joining us on the podcast today, I had Bridget Everett from Somebody Somewhere come by. She chatted with me for a little while about season two, which is delightful. That show obviously holds a special place in our heart. Andy, it's coming back on the 23rd. I recommend everybody check it out. If you haven't, you can watch the first season in a weekend. It's a lovely, lovely, lovely show. And Bridget was awesome. I'm so glad you came by the watch. It's also so glad, I'm so glad that you came by the watch. Yeah, I thought I would today. You know, <laughs> I, I had a real nice window in the schedule. Many people are asking, Uh huh. guys, Yeah. what's your schedule? What's the watch's release schedule? It's been up and down. It has it's been. It's been erratic. International travel, illness, I, I, I prefer to say I had a I had a meeting with big bacteria. I want to let everybody know that we back up. Yeah. So we're gonna do succession for Sunday night. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I mean, that's the plan. <laughs> that's I just the plan. Make a plan. God laughs. And you know? and you know, so we'll and then we'll have you know, our next Thursday show, and I think our next Thursday show might be a bit special as well. I'm excited about that. But much like the way Bill treats rewatchables, I don't want to give too much away about it. That's right. How are you doing? I'm okay. I do. I'm glad you mentioned the rewatchables. I think that there's a lot of crossover probably between the people who enjoy that um, audio program and this one. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to like step on something people already know, but one of the hallmarks of that show, Chris, is that you do, you do your Wayne Jenkins imitation. I do. And it's really remarkable. It's really a John Bernthal imitation. I'm not sure how Wayne Jenkins actually talked. The real Wayne Jenkins? (laughs) Yeah. Should we bring him out? We've got him in student number two. Um, it's a John uh, Bernthal doing Wayne Jenkins from the criminally underseen. Yeah. Although I think you alone are carrying the torch for more viewers. It's my number one show of that year, I believe. HBO, it was not. It was number two. <laughs> number two. Yeah. Number two. Nice try. And or it was number one. Um, we own the city. And you do this 
imitation on demand. You would be a great uh, like task force cop. Yeah. Just jumping out of his car and be like, we we own this city. <laughs> Hi. Hi, guys. Some news. We own this city. Um, anyway, it's really remarkable, Chris. You do it on demand. You put yourself into these movies. And this week you did a really remarkable. I don't know how you do. I don't know how you, they press the button and you just deliver. Yeah. You did uh, Wayne Jenkins uh, in Alien. And uh, they made a video clip. Mm-hmm. And it was sent to Johnny Bernthal himself, who said it was pretty good, actually. Yeah. That was... This was a great moment for me as your friend. It's all, I, I feel like I'm headed for retirement. With that bit? Yeah. No, not with that bit, personally. Oh, because like, we the, all every, are. you know, it's like, I don't know how many more mountains I have to climb. After that. Yeah. We did, we did the three heat with Michael Mann. Yep. John Bernthal has recognized the Wayne Jenkins imitation. You, you pod with Tarantino on the regs. Yeah. I don't know. Where, where do I go from here? I mean, I think we could just sort of keep cranking this out. Yeah. So let's talk about HBO. I'm a little worried that we're a little too cranked on HBO today. Right. But it's an important company. It is. And it's an important uh, canary in the coal mine as to like where television's going. So we're going to talk today about the transformation mm-hmm. of HBO into Max. Well, the transformation of HBO Max into Max. HBO right. remains HBO. Sure. Uh, why don't, so, so explain this to me. Yeah, I mean, I think this was announced or this was, this wasn't a surprise. Let's nope. put it this way. And the news, there was a big um, press conference and almost staged performance last week out here in, in Hollywood, California, United States of America. Basically, ever since the Warner Brothers Discovery merger happened, it felt like fait accompli that the two streaming services would merge, that Discovery Plus and HBO Max would would become one, because otherwise, what's the point of accruing all of those assets? It's worth noting that the conversation about what HBO Max was and what it was doing predates even that, um, that merger, mm-hmm. I think, because from the beginning, it was a little bit confusing. It was, are these two separate programming entities plus friends? Is this HBO just expanding its purview and also has reality shows now like Fuckboy Island? Unclear. As many people had noted when we would talk about it in the past, that pearl clutching might have been a little bit inside baseball. But regardless, here we are. This was the big announcement. I feel like we almost got a sneak preview of it because when HBO head Casey Bloys came in, we noted that he very much seemed to be bifurcating his brain in that he was basically here as the head of programming for HBO. Uh, a storied job that others have had before him that has had a pretty steady purview, right? Yeah. Like programming high-quality stuff on Sunday nights. And then he would refer to what we're doing with Max. Right. Uh, that was a sneak preview because the name of this new combined service is... Max. Thanks. Yeah, uh, is Max. I'm going to tell you what David Zaslov said. This is David Zaslov, the, the uh, Thanos, if you will. Yeah. Warner Brothers Discovery CEO. Right. He said, this is our time. Mm. This is our chance. This is our rendezvous with destiny. Did he really say these things? Yeah, the last that last bit is a little close to John Malkovich and in the line of fire for yeah. I think most people's taste. But here's from the Deadline article summing all this up. So I'll just use this because it's a little bit more clear than anything. I could say Max will be the streaming destination for Max and HBO originals. Yep. Warner Brothers films, the DC universe, mm-hmm. the Wizarding World of Harold Potter. <laughs> And kids' content, along with programming across food, home, reality, lifestyle, and documentaries from leading brands, including HGTV, Food Network, Discovery Channel, TLC, ID, and the big dogs at Magnolia. Yeah. And my guy Chip Gaines buying out the bar at Larry McMurtry's used bookstore. Yep. Read about that. And then they also went on and announced a absolute Buddy Ryan blitz 
of shows that are going to be coming in the next, I'd say, 12 to 18 months. Across all the services, but yeah. ultimately available on Max. And if you have HBO Max now, it will become Max uh, in a short time. Yes. And there's a different tiered pricing plan, et cetera, et cetera. So I think we should talk about— I love getting different tiers in my pricing plans. Do you? Yeah. Do, do you ever—like, do you have variance in your tiering? I just went through this thing the other day because I, for some reason, I'm on a Spaghetti Western kick. And a mm. lot of Spaghetti Westerns are available on Tubi. Okay. And then they are also available on the Screen Picks channel through Prime Video, which costs two ninety nine a month. And Tubi has ads. Mm-hmm. So you're watching Tubi and you're just like, man, this Spaghetti Western is cooking. I wonder what's going to happen with this revolution. And then you're like, God damn it, I'm sitting through an Ozempic ad. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, you can just drop three bucks a month and get, get them all unvarnished. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. I'm going out of pocket. But I'm thinking a lot about tiers. I don't think I'm a fast guy. F-A, capital F-A-S-T. No, I think that ship has sailed for I've been broken. I can't do it. Unless I'm watching Suns Clippers, I just can't watch commercials anymore. Also, how much time do we have left, really? And we should be spending And with it. that, let's throw to an ad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, let's talk about big picture, then yeah. let's talk about the specific yeah, yeah, yeah. programming. Does this um, matter? Does it matter that HBO I, is sort of going underneath a larger headline. I'm going to zag because I did or notice zazz. there was, I'm going to zazz. I think that there was some coverage or feedback or think pieces basically being like, oh my God, this brute in the China shop, Zaslav, doesn't understand the majesty of what he owns. Yeah. And he's trying to Fabergé egg that hide he's HBO inside this much larger monstrosity. And my response to that is, gentlemen, I disagree. Not to assume any knowledge of David Zaslav's thinking, because I personally would have championed Batgirl. I've always been a fan of that franchise and character. It's really more that I think this accomplishes two goals. One, it may have been pearl clutching, but I did think the HBO brand value was diminished by being out in front of HBO Max and people being like, Titans is an HBO show. I don't know how often that happened. I don't know if that mattered, but I do think this allows Casey to program HBO the way he clearly wants to which is as if it's still a cable channel on Sunday nights. It isn't being diminished in terms of its budgets. It isn't being diminished in terms of I would of suggest its- that given like the shows that we mm-hmm. saw of clips of, that if in anything, it seems like they have found uh, a perfect harmony of like big, big blockbuster yeah. spending on like really, really cool, important stories. Yes, and I think that, here's a question for you and for our listeners. What has narrow casting gotten anyone in the last 10 years. It simply isn't the way the business is going. And, and also it seems it isn't the business people want. Like to your point about tiered pricing, like I very happily subscribe to the Criterion channel. There are people who subscribe to Shudder and AMC and all these smaller things that do one thing well. But we're noticing even the limits of that with, we're noticing the limits of that even with Disney Plus, which is the most hyper-specific, I think, of any of these larger competitors. Mm-hmm. And yet, where's the growth? Where's the potential for growth? What are they going to do with Hulu? What are they going to do for adult subscribers? Like we're starting to see even that company chafe against the limits of what seemed like a very, very intelligently curated. (laughs) I think the sixth window should be a state prison. Don't you think? (laughs) I think it should be, it should be Disney, Star Wars, Pixar, Marvel, Oz. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. But all this is to say, We've been talking for weeks, if not months, about how everybody just wants to make TV 1997 again through science or magic. Casting a wide net is what Netflix has done. You know, you could argue 
critically whether that's worked, but I don't think you can argue in terms of numbers. They announced more growth today, small, modest growth, but they are still growing. Mm-hmm. Um, Their stock price fell. Being, Did well, it? I don't know, Ben Bernanke. <laughs> that's not the bottom line for me. Okay. In my core constituency. <laughs> um, I think that having a very generic name, remember when radio stations all became Jack? Yeah. I'm Jack and I play songs you like. Yeah. Like doing that with television, which is what Max is, is fine with me. First of all, make fun of the name. It's better than all the other names. Right. All the names are bad. Yeah. So calling it Max. Are you a big fan of Peacock? No, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like where, where, where's your standing in this argument, sirs? <laughs> Second, like that's just, it, it seems like a smarter play for long-term success to just almost take one step back from the hyper-specificity and be like, you're going to find a lot of stuff here and this is worth your 12 to $15 a month because they're competing with Netflix, which is all of TV. And they're yes. competing with Apple, which has all of the money and Amazon, which has the rest of the money. So to be even remotely relevant, I think you have to try to make yourself as big as possible, which I tried to do with steroids last weekend. And I was told <sighs> recently, those are different kinds of steroids. So, Did you see Barry Bonds at the Kings game, by the way? No. Yeah, he looked great. Did he take the half-court shot? No, he didn't. <laughs> he took he took a shot, half-court shot from Golden State and made it into... Got no, it. he looked great, though. Good for him. Um, so I was no, always a Bonds guy. No ill effects, huh? No. The body's fine. <laughs> Resilient. I think it just it just regressed to, like, normal regressed size to neck. Me. Yeah. I don't really know what's going to happen here. I, I like what you're saying about the idea that it's TV bozos. Just put it all in one place where I can get to it and yeah. stop calling it you know, random different things and giving me five different doors that I have to have a key for to find the thing I want. This service goes live on May 23rd. And I would like to, in the future, do an episode with you Mm. where you and I just do a little bit of consumer reports on these players. Because I think it's an under-commented-on aspect of this. And if you were about to possibly double if not triple the size of the library of this place with this influx of discovery content i think they're doing something like 60 70 80 percent of discovery it's like they're curating what they're bringing over right but i still think that there is an element of like i can't find barry on the homepage kind of thing Hmm. going on here and i also think that that player is a little bit jammy which i think they would even cop to you know you're describing a syrah from the (laughs) fucking sonoma coast Look, I just want to get into the nuts and bolts of how we watch these things, right? Like, I think you're also trying to dig yourself out from being like Amazon Prime Video, no notes. The other <laughs> week, you're like, the finest UX in the game. My man Doug worked minutes on sketching this one out. You know? The problem is, is that he probably worked like six years and was just like, what people want is for this video player to be hidden. Yeah, at all times. <laughs> yeah. I, and if you started watching something, tee hee hee, I hit it. Yeah. If you scroll across the screen, 800 factoids from IMDb come out. This is a mischievous player. (laughs) Yeah. but It plays with you. I just, I I think that your point is well taken. I've seen some concern that HBO as a brand will be diminished by being underneath the Max umbrella. Or is it just going to be a vertical inside of Max as a streamer? Right. I really don't know how all this stuff is going to work out. I just know that we've been here before where we start worrying about how corporate machinations will impact what we see on the screen and it hasn't come to pass. I, I think the worry part, yeah, that, I don't think that really exists here. I, I think that baked into all of this also, is also our bias and probably the people who tune in to listen to us, which doesn't, which has a hard time accepting the fact that we might be topsy-turvy here. That like, there are probably a, a larger number of Americans who want the Discovery content than want the HBO content. Yes. And however, 
Zaslav knows what he bought. I mean, he, he, he did buy it with purpose. I'm not trying to defend him or cape up for him because I think he's made a lot of weird decisions. And generally, this kind of corpo, um, corp, what's it called? Corpocracy? Like, to, running things through corporations is not going to be great for art, I do not think, on the heel, as he said a couple days before the strike. But, I mean, I, there's no version of Max where later this year the front page isn't House of the Dragon. Oh, I mean, I'll, let's do four years from now. And I'll tell you what they've got in the hopper yeah. here. So aside from the shows that we're obviously going to spend probably the majority of the next 12 months talking about in some ways. Right. The Regime, which comes from Will Tracy and Stephen Frears, Frears and his stars Kate Winslet as a, I think, kind of uh, intentionally vague European mm-hmm. monarch. She's the queen of Sokovia. <laughs> it kind of seems like that, but it's like in that sort of uh, pan-British kind of like it that's that's for Europe uh, you know you know I did just rewatch Grand Budapest Hotel which mm-hmm. had also had one of these fake countries where everyone just speaks English yeah I feel like we should do a power rankings of fake Eastern European countries obviously oh Sokovia God. would have been number one until the events <laughs> you know that we are <laughs> until never, it was dropped from a great height. N- never forget but anyway please continue that looks incredible it seems to have uh, an inc- really like assured barbed dark heart black comedy sense of humor that looks amazing it's Kate Winslet Matthias Schoenarts uh, Martha Plimpton wait are we wait, I'm jumping in here are you recapping this or are we talking show by show here because you know I don't step on your recaps anymore I'm not re- what am I recapping I'm just giving you like some, you were like, some here's, bullet points I thought you were going to be like here are the 12 things we're going to watch next year and then you'd see the floor <laughs> and I'd be like okay so the regime so the regime you want to talk about that yeah let's talk about the regime it's like the great succession great you're, this is why you're the best <laughs> And I'm just a mule who drags this show up the mountain every day on his back. How many times do you think Kate is going to come on the podcast to talk about it? It's not jinx it. It's not jinx it. What about Winslet Burnfall, group pod? I feel like they would get along. I do too. I really do. I really do. She should go on real ones on Burnfall's pod. I think that would be great. We've also got The Sympathizer, which is, uh, if you had told me in 2008 or 2010 that Robert Downey Jr. was going to be playing four different parts, Mm -hmm. but not the lead in this uh, adaptation of a beloved novel about the end of the Vietnam War and about uh, about the United States afterwards. And Spycraft. And yeah. Spycraft and everything. I mean, I, I can't tell you how excited I am for this. It's directed by Park Chan-wook. And, it's, it's director Park. Yeah. Back to TV. And uh, Don McKellar worked on this. Like, I just, I'm, I can't believe it. It's A24 and, and Downey produced it, but it's, it looks astonishing. He did Little Drummer Girl, too, Yes, you remember on TV. Also incredible. Do you have still... So I don't know if our listeners know this, that like during college, you were famous for always picking up The Crying of Lot 49 by Thomas Pynchon and then putting it back down. I haven't read this. No, no. I, that, oh, yeah. I, the reason I bring it up is for the last five or six years, The Sympathizer has been number one with a bullet on my, man, that's what I should read next list. Yes. So maybe we can remedy that by the yeah, time the show comes out. that would be out. fun. But I, I, I didn't know if you still maintained lists like that in your life. Sometimes I get pretty close to, if so there are some things where I'm like, I think I'd like, you know, I, I know Mal played Last of Us before Last of Us Cup came on and I know that uh, I, like there are some times where I'm like, I'm going to read this book before the show or the movie comes out yep. to kind of get, get the full picture. But for this I'll probably read it contemporaneously with the show hmm. or like after the show. I, you know, just because like I'm so close to the show coming out now. This is the one that I'm most excited about. Although we're not that close. It said 2024. Oh, it did. Yeah. Okay, because there was a few that got that, that were getting kicked. The one that I'm most excited about probably is True Detective Night Country. Let's talk about it. This is the 
continuation of of Nick Pizzolatto's originally was his series uh, in the first three seasons. But Issa Lopez and Barry Jenkins are bringing this version to the screen with Jodie Foster at the center. But Barry Jenkins did not direct this. No, he's just executive producing it. And Jodie Foster plays a, a police officer or a sheriff in Alaska as the long night is settling in, the 30 Days of Darkness, which you may have seen from that legendary Josh Hartnett vampire movie, 30 mm-hmm. Days of Night. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that looked like a vacation for you. I'm sure that looked like <laughs> yeah. hell on Earth. <laughs> I'm really interested. That's like battling vamps. You know, on a 30-day night. As soon as the sun drops, you come alive. Um, this looks rad. I think you can feel connective tissue to the earlier seasons, especially in the occult uh, pagan iconography that they featured in the trailer and some of the, like, you know, the, like her talking in an interrogation room. Yes. Talking about the past, talking about the present, talking about the future. But it also seems uh, like it has a different vibe. Really? I, I was going to say I thought they carried over the mirthful tone. <laughs> from the previous three. I don't need birth in every one of my shows. I I agree. I think, um, honestly, what struck me was how how much vibe shopping it seemed to be doing from a lot of other recent successful things. Like Northwater, Uh which is a show we love that definitely is aiming for a larger audience than that. Um, The Terror, you know, the the idea, and what was the other show? The Head? Was that the other show? The that, head, yeah. There, there, there it's is cold a, on the rig too on yeah. Amazon Plus. There's a lot Prime. of like real <laughs> icy, dark, yeah, stuff. Like that's a that's well trod terrain. You can see the boot prints in the snow. But I am very open minded with this creative team. Certainly with Jodie Foster, I think it. Look, I mean, we should also give a lot of credit to whoever's cutting these trailers for HBO because we don't know what state these these series are in. I don't yeah. mean like they're, they need to be fixed with reshoots. No, 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 like but they might not the Marvels. I just mean they might, yeah, they might not even have all the stuff and they look great. They look compelling. They look wholly realized. And um, I'm all, I'm here for taking the bones of True Detective and giving other people a couple spins at it. Yeah. You know, and I think that the challenge of this isn't so much taking over from Pizzolatto, it's deciding what you carry over, what makes it still True Detective without his, unique brand of off-putting machismo. That's why I'm surprised that nobody's picked up on my offer to reimagine Sex in the City with a bunch of guys. At night? <laughs> no, in the country. Sex in the country. Oh, that's interesting. But with dudes, you know? I'm listening. <laughs> um, okay, so there, there's those three that are very watch-friendly titles. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why I think that this new announcement, this new, this new shell corp that they've got going, this new TV shell corp, works is because of the preponderance of IP stuff that they are throwing at the the wall here. Yep. It's like not quite HBO, not quite HBO Max, but like where else do you put it? Yeah. But it's also going to probably be what is the uh what makes or breaks this whole thing. And those are the following things. A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms, The Hedge Knight. So that is the new Game of Thrones adaptation that would be about Duncan Egg. And this which was the I one. Say as if I've read it, but I don't know. What but I'm this is the about. one we had circled because we had been led to believe that Stephen Conrad, who had done Patriot, was working on this. Mm-hmm. He no longer seems to be involved, which is. It's like Brian Condal thing, isn't it? Which is disappointing. It does seem like, um, much like characters in the television series Game of Thrones, people seem to be consolidating power within the house. Yeah. Which. You know, that's just something to think about. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get pre upset about that. Are you but, doing Brian Wintour's fingers while you do that? Well, this we're not on TikTok <laughs> right now, so no one will ever know. Um, there's also going to be a Max original comedy series derived from The Big Bang Theory. Derived from, right? Yeah. 
There is going to be a drama series based on the Conjuring films. There is going to be several things kind of coming out of the It Stephen King universe, especially Welcome to Dairy, which I think is already in in production. A lot of meat on that bone, do you think, as as an It guy? I'm a dude who loves Maine. Yeah, and true. I like that small town, but with creepy, creepy bones vibe. It itself, I loved the first one. Mm-hmm. I thought the second one was kind of silly. Do I need to get to the to the to the sort of origins of Pennywise? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, how many how many times can the Pink Lady? Did you rise? watch Castle Rock? We you, watched a little bit of Castle but Rock. Do you know what I mean? Like, like there's this Grease show on on Paramount. Oh yeah, I'm sure it might be good. I'm sure the Grease super fans like it. Like, I'm 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 happy for them, but <laughs> real happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it bums me out. It bums me out, and I and I still have that kind of reaction. Where I'm like, we're, we're doing a couple more it origins. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What else? I well, guess Harry Potter. Th- that's the big one. Yeah. And you know, I I I have to say, look. So recently, I saw someone someone on the Facebook group uh, resurfaced something I'd written ten years ago, which this is going to shock people. I was a little little pessimistic. <laughs> At the state of the industry. I was like, it's over in 2013. It's what you love about me. Yeah. Not afraid of the big statements. I bring that up because I'm starting to feel, I do feel a little bit like that again. It's not just the industry pessimism. We'll, we'll have plenty of time to do that when. Do you feel I'm, like this is mostly because of the strike? When I'm is, half out of work for the next three yeah. months? Yeah. Um, that is a real thing and it's a huge bummer. But um, it, it's something that I just want to flag. I'm not going to overreact. But I think we are in entering into a different stage and, and, it, and it is no longer about fandom wins, you know, about like servicing the fans and giving people what they think, giving, giving fans what studio executives think fans want, whether it's the Snyder Cut or whether it's just, you know, a hundred more Marvel TV shows or Lord of the Rings or more Game of Thrones that just sort of slavishly just copies what George R. R. Martin wrote and puts it on the screen. To me, it's a little bit more Last of Us, which is, was a good show that we enjoyed. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the discourse and the coverage of it was people sort of nodding when the show shot for shot recreated the video game. Right. Like, good job. Right. You have met my expectations by doing what I expected of you. And to me, that's what this Harry Potter thing is. Now, they have to develop something. It's one of the reasons Zaslav bought the company was the rights to do something with the Harry Potter universe. Secondly, Joanne Rowling controls all of it. Love her or hate her, tweet at her or don't, she is in charge of absolutely every part of this. And it's not like you can walk in and, and sell her on like a totally out there take on it. She's not going to do it. She is protecting the brand. She's raking in billions of dollars. So a basically 10-year television show that's just doing the movies again, but with all the bits that very, very, very long movies left out. Mm-hmm is the safest play and in some ways maybe the only option for a TV show. But my soul died a little bit. Now, I'm not a big Harry Potter fan. My my older daughter is, so I'm sure this is going to be very exciting for people who love this stuff. I'm sure it's um, very complicated for people who love it too. Yeah, because a lot of people love it from the movies. Yeah. And they yeah. grew up with the and movies. I think they have that, a complicated relationship with, with Rowling they, now. And, and They do, which yeah. I don't want to speak on. That's, you know, that's, that's for people who, have, who do have these relationships with her and with this property. But I have zero. Like, I've, yeah. I think I've seen like one of two I, movies and I've never read the books. I just feel like it's some real dark end of IP capitalism dead end shit. Because 
there's no writer. And what kind of, a, I mean, you're going to get rich off this, I guess, but you're just going to be, you know, cutting and pasting scenes for 10 years just so that there's a filmed record of it. It's kind of like the live action, you know, like the, 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 the Hollywood Reporter feed is filled with two things right now as we're recording on Wednesday. One, uh, Lionsgate's making a Twilight TV show. Good. Yep. Let's do that one again. And the rest is like Courtney B. Vance cast in the uh, Lilo and Stitch movie uh-huh. as this character. So he's going to wear sunglasses. <laughs> Which character? I, I forget the guy's name. The, do, you don't, do, you, do you not watch that? Oh, I've seen that movie like 19 times. Okay. <laughs> but you know, specific names, I get vibes <laughs> for that movie. It's just, this isn't, this isn't making new shit, guys. Like this isn't creative. Yeah, I don't know. What, I, I'm, is, there's part of me that wants to push back against you just as like a kind sure. of, uh, as a counterbalance, as yeah. a counterweight. Mm-hmm. There's part of me that wants to do the, it was ever thus. Like, how is, like, are we talking yeah. about, we're, not, we're talking about an industry that has been beholden to its its corporate owners or its shareholders yes. for a very long time. We're probably way more, we're probably, we probably know too much and not enough at the same time. Like, we're so keyed in, we read Deadline, we talk to these people, we get these vibes, we see the, like the things that are getting uh, put into development or put into production. Every other story seems to be like a new, a fancy new take on this fucking board game. Yeah. You know, like it, it doesn't, I don't, it doesn't fill me with the wonder of 70s American cinema for sure. Yeah. But on the other hand, I just feel like a lot of this stuff winds up being oriented around goosing stock prices as much as possible. And yeah, I, and this is not to say that I doubt that we'll ever see Harry Potter or that this 10-year project could be 10 years in the making before it even hits our airwaves. Um, to say nothing of like what it should show it's going to be to kind of navigate the art, the artist and everything else. I just sometimes I wonder like, I kind of felt this way about like the Kathy Kennedy stuff where she was like, there was never a Kevin Feige movie. And like, that was all a fake. And I'm like, just being gaslit. Well, so you guys are just making these announcements so that fucking Wall Street goes nuts yes. for you for five days and, and keeps your head above water. And then that's right. When they're like, where's the Harry Potter decade long series or where are the other, or what are you doing with this property? Yeah. Because didn't this is you part have of the value nine movies in development. Yes. How come it's been five years you, since you put one out? Like that's, you, you are right. I think we need to like absolutely just, change hats yeah. and become Jim Cramer, you know, and this, these, these are stock stories. This is not creative stories. Right. And we are talking about broad strokes, a company that is also making somebody somewhere and also making industry season three right now in Wales. Like we aren't being robbed. We have a lot, but there is a larger theme that, yeah, it, it is. It, there's the shadow of the strike, which is making me a little yeah. bit dark, but we're just making people too comfortable. You know, it's just too easy and it's too comfortable and everybody's kind of fallen in line with it, you know? I, I think just in terms of, I, it, this even gets bigger because we're, we're still doing kind of a macro monocultural podcast at a moment when that might not even exist anymore. Yeah. We're reaching for those moments and we're reaching for that argument that there's something to counterbalance with. There's still good movies. There's still good TV shows. But, but we did a podcast six weeks ago about Succession coming back. Yeah. And you were like, this is it. This will be the last good time on TV. And now we just got three trailers for three shows well, on the same network that we're fucking like, I can't believe we're getting this. But none of them are ongoing series. The, the sure. Succession thing was specifically that. Sure. And, and shout out to Mickey and Conrad. I did not mention industry coming back. And again, I don't know if this is a sign of uh, Warner Brother Discovery's highly evolved UX or not. But every time I turn on that service, it's just like people are watching industry. And I, that just makes me feel good. Yeah. Maybe they are. I hope they are. Um, there are good shows, yes. But in terms of the, 
what's driving the cart of the business on every level, creatively, financially, what's taking up people's time, what, what the job of an executive or especially a development executive even is anymore. Mm-hmm. Is it, and we've had, we, I probably said these words 10 years ago on this podcast when I wrote that piece about it being the zombie age of TV that like, oh, the, the, the job of a, the, a good TV executive development executive is now just like gently carrying the fragile box of IP and trying to put it in hands to keep his or her job safe. Right. I probably said that 10 years ago. It's still the case. And that's a bummer. But um, it's just, this is the way things are going until it's not. Yeah. I mean, the problem is, is that there is no such thing as like independent underground television. Or if there is, I don't know about it. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think in film, at least there is point. the illusion of it. You know, that there, and I, I think now it's like even independent underground cinema is like completely like been subsumed with like various like financing arms and like hedge funds who want to get involved with like this. And then like the, these things get sold off to like the streaming bidders or whatever. But the idea that like we are somehow, we have fallen from grace in television. Yeah. I think we're in Eden. I think we've gotten lucky. We, I, we, I would not have wanted to do this podcast with you at any other time in television history. Wow. I don't think so. Must see TV would have been fun. But would it? Just a couple. Did eight. you guys see what like the fucking monkey on Friends? Just That's couple, crazy. Just you know? a couple eighteen-year-olds <laughs> being like, "Tarantino's directing ER." That's sick. Um, no, no, no. I, Did I, you tape it last night? <laughs> nope. So no. no show today. <laughs> Sorry, I had homework. Um, uh. No, I, I, I am of two minds. I agree with what you're saying, and I don't. I, I mean, I do think it is kind of my job to be negative sometimes, and I naturally feel that way. I guess there's just a couple other things, which is to say. I think it's how I, it's organized. I, I, I think I think the the dream of massive expansion and investment in television for me is somebody somewhere. That's not my favorite show of the year, but it's you should be able to use some of the largesse to make these things. Some things should get smaller. It doesn't all need to get bigger. And I'm still waiting to see what, if any, ripple effect the bear has from last year, because I I just don't I don't understand why all of these networks don't have like three or four swings. Maybe they do, you know, and maybe they're just waiting till after I the strike they, or whatever. But like maybe they do, but I also think that like there are things that happen and then because everything feels like it's all being broadcast on this like flattened, chaotic plane of existence where you have to like there is no time when this thing is on. It doesn't feel like swarm is being mm-hmm. uh spotlit by Amazon because it's not like they're putting it on on Thursday night or they're not putting it on on Sunday night or they don't seem to be No, it's just there. Th- it's but that's that show is fucking crazy that they made that. You yes. know what I mean? Like it's crazy that somebody somewhere is on the air. It's it is like a really exciting time. It's just that it also feels like that and then it's like above it is a hundred feet of shit. Yep. And I think the one thing that you're sort of like maybe reacting to aside from the strike is like there was a feeling that HBO, we're going to talk about another HBO show that is not your usual mm-hmm. star-led drama in a few minutes where you're just like, man, this is where the good stuff goes. Yes. Don't get pimp Dr. Pimple Popper in my good stuff. And I don't think that that's going to really feel that way or be that way. I don't feel like, to taking it all the way back to what you said, I don't have any even fake concern troll worry about HBO. It's more TV in general. Or, or within Max. Like, but the Harry Potter thing just bummed me out. Because I want yeah. people to be, and it's the same, and it's the same tone of voice you hear now when I talk about Star Wars or anything or Marvel. Like, I just want this stuff to be better. I want people to and be it can pushing. Be. We things. saw Andor. It can be. Yeah, and, and and that's the most damning thing of all. You're right. It's not because the because the the lesson from Andor isn't. 
you know, we like Guardians of the Galaxy is fun. I think Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is going to be fun. Yeah. I'm excited to see it. But that's different. Andor was full stop good. And so this stuff can be good. And I wish they were trying harder. And that when you say from the beginning that we are going to be faithful to people's vision for something, that's just a recipe for trouble. I agree with you. Why don't we talk about some stuff that's on right now that's giving us joy? Yeah. How about that? Sure. We'll be putting this episode out on Thursday. So Top Chef will be going up the evening of our podcast. So we haven't seen the most recent, the new Top Chef. Yes. We've watched the most recent one. Which which uh, was at Downton Abbey. We could just speak generally about it. I imagine that people are either watching Top Chef or they're not. So we can spoil it if you want. Do you think we should spoil it? Um, Do you like Tom? (laughs) Do I like him? Yeah. Like personally? Yeah. Like you asking? No, not like would you fucking hang out with Tom? But like, what do you... I am. I find Tom. I find mm-hmm. that this season is easily the most engaged and excited I've been about this show in a long time, especially early in the season. Yes, and I think part of it is because so many different chefs from so many different backgrounds cooking at so many different ways yeah. at such a high level. Yes, that even when a guy like Tom kind of emerges as like a little bit of a heel, it's not like he can't cook. Yeah, and sometimes you forget that. Yeah. And then you see him doing or all sometimes this Tom forgets that because he's like, it's time to make tomato salad, you know? Yes. But- <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's interesting. Well, first of all, the main thing is, God, these people know how to make this show. Mm-hmm. And you'd think that, I, I'm sure behind the scenes, and I feel like Gail alluded to this when we were talking, like it's going to be a big undertaking for them to go out of the country for the first time, et cetera, et cetera. They just know how to do this so, so well, getting in incredibly high-level judges, for the most part, very interesting and compelling challenges and then casting the shit out of it. And it's really interesting to see, without question, the highest level of cooking that the show has ever had throughout its run. Yeah. You know, the finales tend to really focus up and tighten up and then you have really great stuff. But everybody on this was a winner or a finalist. So it was really good from the beginning. And then seeing the ways that the nature of the game does win out, right? In that, like, even veterans can get in their own head. Yeah. Even people who can cook on a Michelin star level might not remember how to make a sandwich um, or just lose gas at the wrong time. Yeah, like, Begonia. Like my, I was, I was riding for Begonia. I yeah. loved her. And her but cooking it all was fell totally apart. unique. You know, she just like, she, she fell down, like she mistimed her stuff. Like, yeah. I, I, I think largely it's just been an incredible season. It's been revitalizing season. I think the show can run for another 20 years after this because the last few years have been so like, we've been commending them for rolling with the punches and for adjusting and making making do. This blows the whole thing out of the water. I think they've gotten back to a certain purity of purpose after reinventing the show itself. Hmm. So I think that like, what I mean by purity of purpose is like the the challenges, like you said, for the most part, I think are like, cool, interesting tests of a, of a chef's skills and ability to plan. Mm-hmm. They are not like, welcome to England. We're sponsored today by Chipotle, so you're going to make a burrito that can be shipped back to like Santa Clarita, California and enjoyed yep. by it all. Like, it's all like, let's do a spin on pub food. Let's do a spin on tea. Let's do a spin on this. Like, a let's picnic. Mm-hmm. talk about like where we are, but also feel free to like push and do different things with where we are. And I just think, I find it so fascinating. I'm obviously like, a, like I love England, so it's really interesting to see them interact with the city but and with, with the country, but I think it's just been a top-notch season. I think there have been only a couple couple 
off key things. Okay. I think the um, the thing you were alluding to, which is, I, I guess they, they were doing like a two track last chance kitchen, like a couple weeks of it, someone gets to come back and they'll run it again yeah. for a couple weeks and someone will get to come back. And then they just did something for folks who don't remember that where a regular episode of Top Chef ended and rather than saying, pack your knives and go to one of the chefs, Padma took the two bottom chefs, mm-hmm. Tom and Sylvia, yep. and had them then go to Last Chance Kitchen, so in a separate kind of episode. And then it was Last Chance Kitchen was actually, in fact, to get back on Top Chef immediately. And then the loser was going to Last Chance Kitchen. Yes, and they had also done the finale of the first round of Last Chance Kitchen was on the show. Yes. And, yeah. um, and that finale was pretty infuriating because was again, that Dale that was Begonia? Dale versus Begonia doing a pastry tower in like an hour yeah. for a tea service which is just that's kind of bullshit yeah but Dale I mean I love Begonia but she was like I'm gonna go galaxy brain on this and Dale was like I just gotta make sure it's done you're right about that and maybe that ultimately was what the challenge is but they're running but up to that point they're treating these people like the you know the supposed geniuses they are and she's just like, I'm not here to cook fucking eclairs. And I agree with that. And one of the things generally I like about the show is they don't do that to people. Sure. It's, it's not gotcha. It's not like you need to be able to make a perfect meringue, even though that's not what you do. It's like, we're going to give you a chance to, to bring what you do to a larger stage with what we're asking for. Something interesting is happening with Survivor right now, where a lot of the people on Survivor are Survivor experts. Oh, like they've actually yeah. got like a, na- a kid this year from NASA who's like, I built 3D models of every puzzle they've ever had on Survivor and just practiced it for a year. Wow. And there's part of me that's like, that's cool. It's interesting to watch, but it's also breaking the game because there's no actual like, um, there's no spectrum of personalities anymore. It's like everybody is trying to play the perfect game of Survivor. It's mm-hmm. not just like a guy who shows up and he's just like, fuck it. Like, I'm just going to say what I think or maybe I will lie to this person or whatever. And I don't think that that, has quite infected Top Chef. Although I do think that, I think Buddha's mentioned a couple of times practicing That's what things. I was going to say. Buddha's the one. But look, Begonia knew she was going to England. She should practice tea service. Like that was, high tea was going to be a challenge. I guess, but like an hour to make 32 eclairs plus tea, sam- tea sandwiches, yes. Yeah. The baking part was kind of a bummer. Yeah. I think but I liked when, you know, earlier in the episode, like in the season, Tom was like, I don't make that. Right? Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. And then, didn't know how to make sandwiches. Um, that was she just put like stuff on the outside of the sandwich. Yeah, they re- that was so weird. Yeah, let's, I mean they they that was they, Tom and Sylvia. They did that. both did that. Yeah, they were both like let's. Is put that a, little a thing extra people are sauce. trying? I think they didn't understand. I think they heard. I think they cook at a certain level. I think they were like, I have to prove myself. I think they heard the luxe ingredients thing again, and so they were fighting the nature of the challenge. And I think that. This isn't a Buddha situation, but one of the reasons why someone like Amar, I think, has survived longer is because he's a veteran who doesn't overthink it. So Yeah, he's came, also just like, I know how to make like a certain amount of things very, very well. Yeah, so when he made that lamb dish for the, the group dinner, which was the best episode of the season so far, despite the loss of Begonia, like that was in some ways, there was only one risk, whether it was going to cook in time or not. Yeah. Everything else, like if you put that, those ingredients together at the right ratios in the oven overnight, it's going to be amazing. Yeah. And he won. And that was surprising to me, although it shouldn't have been, because that is still the nature of the game. But it's... Can I, I ask you one, one other question about this? Yeah. Have you noticed that Tom changes the temperature on this show? Because, like, he... With Tom Kalikia. Yeah. He can... 
he can like affect the stock market one way or the other. When he goes into the kitchens? Even when he, before they started cooking that second, the last chance kitchen that was like right after the episode, he was like, he threw out, make it commensurate to the setting of where we are. Like yes. make, cook up to the standards of Downton Abbey, which would have fucked me up if I was making a sandwich. Fair. And especially because- And I was he, like, is this a rule or are you just saying like you want a really good sandwich? And they were like, remember the the hilarious, potentially not- factually true folktale origin stories where the Earl of Sandwich wanted yeah. uh, didn't want to put down a good hand of whist. So he was like, you meat Earl between of sandwich bread. Truther? Yeah. I feel like I feel like other people had that bright idea, you know? <laughs> but who's the face of it? Yeah. Let's really question that. But like, I think those like ruddy-cheeked judges who enjoy picnic baskets, they would have just like like a real, like a slice of roast beef yeah. and some sourdough. Maybe a spicy mustard. That was just wild. That Tom was like, I'm just going to put the watercress on top of the sandwich. He was going for plating. Yeah. But it did look pretty. Sure. It was weird. Um, great season. Do you feel this is, as you know, well, I was going to say this is the only reality show I watch, but my children have gotten me onto Next in Fashion. On, is that the, on Netflix. the Tim no, Gun Show? It, no, it's a new fat. I mean, it's, they're all the same. They're all Project Runway. But this is one hosted by Tan France from Queer Eye, okay. whom I like a lot, and Gigi Hadid, mm-hmm. who is a supermodel, I've learned recently. <laughs> Truly had no idea who that Jesus person was. Christ, I've watched a lot of Ozu movies recently. Uh-huh. You know? It's great. I love all, all fashion sh- reality shows are amazing. And this one is a guaranteed cry every week. I watched Survivor, the uh, Top Chef, and I, I really enjoyed Traders, which is essentially Survivor, but in a house. It's with my guy, Alan Cumming. It right? is with your guy, Alan Cumming. So, uh, but my question for you was, as a Sur- Survivor fan, the thing about Top Chef for the last few seasons, especially, is just the vibes are immaculate. Mm-hmm. Like Gail, Padma, Tom, they know what they're doing. They do seem to legitimately like each other. It does seem like it's a good time for people to come back and be a part of it. And that is part of the experience. Is that true with other long-running reality shows? Uh, not the, I don't think that there, I mean, like Survivor does have people back on from time to time. Like I said, like I feel like it's going in this strange meta direction where no contestant is pure. Yeah. With Top Chef, I have to say I enjoy a little bit of like uh, Sharp Elbows in the Kitchen this season. A little bit. Yeah, a little there's, bit. There's More some. than seasons past, yeah. I would say. The last couple of seasons have been very collaborative and cooperative. And this season is like a bunch of alphas who are Begonia like, was I won. Yeah, I've won my thing already. I'm going to win again. Who Do you have a clubhouse favorite? I feel like Buddha's kind of like the mid, mid-2010 Spurs. I'm just going to keep betting Buddha until he loses. I thought Buddha was out at the when Begonia was out. I thought he maybe should have he's, been. Out. He's having, I think, a not... It's. I think it's somewhat typical, like mid-season swoon for the future champ, where they kind of like start to get a little bit touchy about the challenges, or yes. like maybe like Buddha is always like, "What the fuck are you talking about? This dish was perfect, you know, and interesting." Yeah, but I think he'll recover. I mean, and I, I think he might be like, he's him. He's Austin Reeves. I'm, I'm him. The greatest basketball <laughs> yeah. player of all time. Buddha's just like. Oh, I'm him. <laughs> He kind of is, but in a very technical way because yeah. he's like, I'm going to solve this problem. Um, I think Amar, uh, not not Amar, I think uh, Shabrell. Shabrell and Ali. Shabrell and Ali are, are in the are lurking. I think those guys are incredible. I think those guys have energy and skills and history and connections to traditions that we have never seen on this show. And what they're doing is just watch yeah, the, the show the just for them. The plate that that dude made, where I was like, those dips look good. Yeah, he yeah. made a dip plate. He, that's a plate, yeah. Those dudes... 
those dudes are fascinating and their energies are really good. Like I, I'm, I mean, obviously I'm all in on the show. You said that the reality shows that you watch, you watch oh, these fast competitive shows. shows. We competitive. Well, I would posit to you yeah. that 100 Foot Wave is not a reality show. It's pure cinema. I uh, watched the first episode of the second season last night. It's up on HBO Max now. Episode's called Epsilon. Chris Smith is back directing with some core characters from the first season. Uh, for people who don't know, 100 Foot Wave is a docuseries about uh, a set at the sort of the biggest wave point, one of the biggest wave sets in the in the world, in Nazare, Portugal, which is in sort of like northwest Portugal, right? I love it. You're like, hey, geography guy. <laughs> I think it's, it's, that it's definitely it's. in Portugal. And in the fall, typically, there are these swells there that they now have figured out how to ride via being towed out on their surfboards via jet ski onto these huge waves, and that they can then do this these these runs down these waves. So for folks who haven't seen it. The first season introduced us to a couple of of these surfers and their f- extended families, and, and, and their, kind of the discovery of Nazareth and the discovery of Nazareth and the phenomenon of big wave surfing and some of the technical uh, leaps that had to happen in the world of surfing for people to be able to access these waves in the first place. It's really cool. Um, I personally was like, you know, obviously you and I were like deeply obsessed with this show. We I think it, it came out at a time when it was truly, truly transportative. I think it was it was summer twenty one. Yeah, so it was like the world was like kind of opening up again for them. Apparently, as we well, learned no, this season. well, we got to talk about this. So this is the funniest fucking part. Season two of Hundred Foot Wave opens with these guys all kind of in October of 2020. Yeah, it's still pretty nardog out there, and all of these cats are like. I need to jump on a plane from Indonesia, from Hawaii, from wherever, and get to Portugal. And I was like, could we fly then? <laughs> could we? I mean, they were all just looking at weather.com, and they're like, sick, book it. Yeah. Book the travel. Yeah. We couldn't so, go to Hawaii then. So these people are all basically leave. quarantining. Mm-hmm. But then a once-in-a-century storm swell, Hurricane Epsilon, is coming to Nazareth and creating these conditions that are are unspeakably dangerous and Gorgeous. Or so to they hope. At, or right. so they hope. And the first episode kind of brings everybody back together and also tracks how, whether it's the 100 foot wave effect or whatever, this has now become hot property. Mm-hmm. And there are all these surfers out there. There's five or six jet skis and surf teams per wave. I think more. Yeah. And aside from that, you've also got swarms of drones and cinematographers working. The cliffs now, where it used to be like a couple of people watching on their way to and from work, now it's obviously a spectator sport. And I thought maybe, oh, you know, like, do do I need more 100-foot wave? Like, that was good. And the first time, like, you just see that thing fucking ripping, I was just like, I'm home. Yeah, I love this show (laughs) so much. I love this show. I love these people. It is interesting because, to your point, there didn't need to be more. Right, like they made it with this was a documentary about a thing, and the thing spanned a decade basically. Yeah, from Garrett McNamara, um, he didn't personally discover this, but he sort of put it on the map, and he he helped innovate and create this idea of tow surfing, where you were brought by a jet ski to the very, 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 very biggest waves. Introduced a whole cast of characters that we fell in love with. The second season is, you know, it's it, it it is like that. You have your lifetime to make a first album, and then you have ten months to make a second. Yeah, and that we're picking up pretty almost directly when the first season aired. We're 20, 2020, 2021. So it's going to be a smaller sample size of time. Uh-huh. That does not matter. 
because I if find, anything, I feel like it looks even better now. Yes, I think they. I mean, I they definitely got more. I don't know whether it's the drone footage you're talking about or just more budget towards it. But like, I think I I said this. I'm sure two years ago, but that when for the many 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 hours, like 10, 12, 15, 17 hour days on set of Briar Patch, there was the one guy who was the focus puller, and all he did, and that's one job, and it's very important. But we're not always filming. And what he was doing when he wasn't pulling focus was he was just watching surfing videos. Yeah. And at first I laughed. And then, you know, two months later, I was just standing over his shoulder. Yeah. Because it is incredibly beautiful and hypnotic and dramatic to watch this stuff. And so relaxing we, and thrilling at the same and, time. And so we would be in regardless. But the thing about this show, I mean, it knows the thing that all good shows know, which is that it's about the characters. Yeah. And now is the time to say again, for the record, that I would take a bullet for the Messias family. <laughs> For Nicole, Garrett's wife. Yeah. And especially CJ. CJ, the first grade teacher. Her brother. Yeah. Who carries within his beautiful soul an energy that I have sought for all my 40 plus years on this earth. Can that I, I have ask never you found. a direct question? It's time. Would you send your children to the Messiah School in, in Hawaii? Without hesitation. Yeah. I would transfer them now. So what Chris is referring to is that that Garrett McNamara, who's getting on in years a little bit and and, and a little concerned about the, the the stability and sanctity of his body, uh, he, he is quarantining in this sort of family commune compound in Hawaii, which looks like absolute heaven. And his brother-in-law, CJ, who is just bright, bright light. You probably don't like him because you like darkness and nighttime. Yeah. So you, he would be your enemy. CJ is just like takes it upon himself to be the kindergarten first grade teacher of the kids there. Yeah. And let me tell you something. As someone who briefly dabbled in homeschooling, homeschooling <laughs> yeah. um, this guy is even more of a saint. I think he I would thought. have done, I think you would have put up better numbers as a teacher mm. had you been able to be like, guys, why don't we run outside and look at this rainbow ripping across the Pacific? <laughs> That's a really, really strong point. That's a really, you know, that, that yeah. does make everything better. Um, but yet, yeah, to, to, to your point, Chris, like, and then this storm happens and they're all just like, well, that's enough of that coronavirus. So Garrett's Let's like, go. I feel so present every day I teach my daughter a new thing. Yes. I am finally on the sea with my son. Every day. My every son, day. Beryl. And then he's just like looking at his phone and he's <laughs> like, that's a pretty big swell. Is this the kind of swell to fly over for? And you'd expect maybe like if it was a, a movie, it would be like, Nicole would be like, God damn it, Garrett. Yeah. You know, when are you going to love this family as much yeah. as you love the waves? And instead, she's just like, let's go. Let's go to Portugal. She's already got the Ramoas. She packed. is the one who's like, Garrett's going to stand there and make excuses not to surf. Yeah. That dude shattered his whole fucking shoulder. Yeah. It was just fine porcelain dust. Yeah. And, you know, and so he's spending this episode being like, I think I'm just going to tow Cotty, who we adore. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give him a chance to shine. I'm going to look out for my my friends. I'm going to help Justine, who I also love. These wonderful, bright-hearted lunatics. And Nicole is up on the castle, <laughs> just spewing aerosols, being like, what's wrong with my broken husband? <laughs> um, it's unbelievable. It's unreal. I don't want to and- spoil this for anything. I mean, we've already spoiled it, I guess. But I want to say, plant my flag in the ground. Mm. Nothing... In filmed entertainment, mm-hmm. will be as thrilling as the Kyle Lenny scene in the first episode. Oh, dude! So, I, if you if you haven't seen the show and you just want to enjoy this, please skip this part. But Kyle Lenny, who is essentially like, I I don't know, 
the Zion Williamson. See, like, I it's mean, also like Siri, show me a surfer. It yeah, would be that. But dude. he's also like, he's Steph. He's Steph. So where everybody else is like, I'm going down this hundred foot slope. I can't believe I lived. He's like, I'll go down a 70 foot slope wave, but I'm going to do fucking 360s it's and kickouts the entire way down. And so he th- try and try to innovate and think of like what would be a cool thing to do on one of these waves while everybody is waiting for the big one. He grabs one and he's essentially got a selfie stick with a GoPro on it. And he wants to show people what it's like to mm-hmm. actually ride these waves. On this wave that he takes with the GoPro stick, he, he wipes out. And then he is stuck in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean as 100 foot waves crash down on him over and over and over again. And he talks about how he's feeling violated by the wave. What's happening underwater, yeah. And he keeps filming. He's yeah. like, the only thing that kept me like sane while this was happening was this idea of what is sick, what sick content this would be. But how about then he gets picked up by a dude who's not his driver yeah. and he's just like, thanks, bro. No, he's like, you saved my life. I just got pounded. Yeah, but he's also, <laughs> but, the, but the vibes are not what mine would be, yeah. I would say. Like, I think... I don't want to speak out of turn. I, I think you have a little Kyleni in you as a podcaster. Uh-huh. I think my podcast energy is more Justine's boyfriend. <laughs> you know, like, oh, maybe I maybe wanted to more petite, mon petit chou. Like, let's not put you on the big one. We have one. taken our relationship to its limits on the wave. <laughs> on the 80, 80 to 100 meter wave. Yeah. Poor Fred. They're, they're just a great crew. They just seem to have a good time. You see, they make little like homemade burritos to get through the day. Yeah, they all like now everybody just sets up base camp there and just, dude, it looks like quite a life. I'm so glad it's back. We'll talk about it again. But that is, to your, let's bring it full circle, man. Like, Max is coming. I'm pro Max. But right now on the home box office network on Sunday nights, it's 100 foot wave, succession, and Barry. Mm-hmm. That's must see TV. See, TV's back. TV's back for another. Four to six weeks. <laughs> Andy, we're going to go to my interview with Bridget Everett. Yeah, uh, everybody should be it. watching somebody somewhere. It comes back next week. 23rd? 23rd. 23rd. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful show. Check it out. Thanks to Kaya for producing. We will be back on Sunday night after Succession with our recap pod. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. One thing you don't have to worry about cleaning up this spring season, your wireless bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. It's easy. And right now, they have unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. For first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. 
This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash! Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies' splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Bridget, thanks so much for doing The Watch. Thanks for having me Thanks here. for coming. I'm such a huge fan of this show, and I'm so glad it's back. Thank uh, you. How are you feeling doing like the, the press run and stuff for the second season? Because this must be almost like an opportunity to hear from people like what they thought of the first season. And Do you find that people are interested in parts of the show that you were like, oh, I didn't pick that out, or I wouldn't have sort of noticed that about my own material? Yeah, you know, I don't really think about things in, in intellectual terms. So when <laughs> yeah. I talk to like smart people and they just, you know, put the the fancy words on top of it, I'm like, oh, wow. Oh, yeah, I'm just like, I just sort of lead with my heart and hope for the best. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but it has to be some sort of, is it vulnerable to put the show out there because it is a part of you? Very, like, you know, it's not literally a, like autobiographical, but it's largely. Yeah, like, I mean, it, it's based on like a lot of themes from my life. So it's very vulnerable. Yeah. It's vulnerable shooting it. It's vulnerable having people in my life see it and sort of maybe seeing some aspects of us or me or them in it. I don't know. I feel pretty, uh, I'm walking through the world pretty, uh, pretty exposed right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's good. It's good. It's worth it. It's just, it's just, it does feel, it feels like a lot. Well, I would imagine also that like the connection that people have to the show. I mean, this is even like for me and my wife, this happens like where we're watching it and you know, you feel like you recognize aspects of yourself in it or aspects of your family in it. I'm sure people come up to you and they're like, hey, I got to tell you about my dad. You know, <laughs> like, I, or I got to tell you about my relationship to my sister because of like what I saw on the yeah. show. I mean, it's like a very personal thing for people, I would imagine. Yeah, and, and sometimes like, you know, I'm a Midwesterner, so yeah. it's sort of hard to kind of take things in, accept a compliment, et cetera, et cetera. And to like really, to hear them and believe that they're, seeing something in that way. Like, I'm glad people like the show and I'm glad that they're enjoying it. But um, I don't know, like when we're making it and like, we're sort of, you know, focusing on things that I feel like make me different. But the truth is that's, that's, that's not necessarily true. There are other people that, that have um, a friendship as a central love story in their life. And then sort of how you navigate yourself through that when the person finds love or, or just holding on to people too tight or all the things that I think that make me a mess. It's kind of nice to know that there's other people that have that going on too. It makes it a little less isolating, I guess. That's the other thing though, is like, I remember I was watching like um, a Seth Rogen interview and he was talking about super bad and he was talking about like everything that we put into the movie that we were like, no one's going to get this or this is way too detailed and and specific to our experience are all the things that people wound up being attracted to. It's like the more yeah. specific and the more authentic an idea is. Always better. It's always better. But I, I, I think, you know, I learned that a lot of my stage show, which is kind of wild, off the rails, you know, singing about various body parts and whatnot, <laughs> and just kind of uh, being on stage in a very big way, you know, taking up a lot of space. Yeah. Um, but this feels a lot more intimate and also... So personal, but I do agree with that. I think you always have to be very specific. And like the problem was when we were, not the problem, but when we were doing this, you know, HBO and Carolyn Strauss and were always encouraging us to be, you know, more you, be more specific, do, you know, and and I was like, well, this, this just doesn't feel like a cool show. Right. It doesn't feel like, a, you know, there's so many shows that have such a slick, cool vibe and this is just not that, you know, yeah. and trying to trust that. <laughs> but <laughs> 
the best way to do it is just sort of stay true to yourself, stay true to your heart, and exactly like like the wise Seth Rogen once said, <laughs> be specific as possible. There's a version of this show, too, where I guess that it could have been like a network sitcom mm-hmm. about a woman going home and kind of like there's some workplace comedy and there's some family comedy and stuff like that. Had you ever thought about or been approached to do something that felt like not like a more mainstream or commercial version of this, but like a, a little bit more of a sanded down version of this story before or, or your story? You'll never believe this, but I've been just like one of the first times I've ever been approached for a show in my life. Like, I was <laughs> so you're one for one. That's uh, yeah, great. one for one. I mean, I did a pilot for Amazon that didn't end up going, but but you know, but this is like kind of it. And like to HBO's credit and to um, our you know our other producers, like they wanted me, but we couldn't really figure out. Like if you see my stage show, it's pretty wild. Like how to sort of. Uh, to to lasso that and put it into like a, 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 a this kind of medium doesn't does it's not like as simple as you might think yeah but Casey and Amy gave me a holding deal and so there was time to kind of think about it and really find the right people to work with and Carolyn suggested um, Carolyn Strauss um, who's you know my hero basically I mean, she's she is a legend, <laughs> she's yeah. you know she's done Last of Us Game of Thrones and you know a couple other you know Sopranos I don't know you just keep listening <laughs> off he's a uh, Carolyn Strauss was in the room. Um, but um, what was my point? Was my what was the thing? I'm coming down from oh, my, whether over. or not there was ever like another version of this show that was yeah, there's as, just like there wasn't. You know, Paul and Hannah pitched a world and like it was very counterintuitive in a way that was sort of like polar opposite of like my live show. Just like the you know appeal, but it appealed to like the Midwestern in me. To you know, my sister had passed away. The love of music, Murray Hill is Frederick Coco, who's one of my best you know friends, yeah. showbiz buddy, um, and it felt like these were all elements like things that I could like hold on to. And then, you know, as we were sort of, we did the pilot and it was great. And then, you know, Amy Gravit at HBO is like, we want, you know, more family. I love the sister stuff. Like let's, you know, they're just, I feel like HBO and the people working around me, like see, see the valuable parts of me and are smart about bringing them out and leaning and leaning into them. And, and I like that the show is quiet. I like that it goes inch by inch and that it's slow. It feels very different, but that to me is how life plays out. Yeah. Or maybe I'm just so emotionally stunted. It takes me, <laughs> takes me a long time to get from A to B. No, but I was wondering whether or not, you know, sometimes I talk to people and you can tell that they're making the the show that they want to watch. Yeah. And, you know, there's been a few things like Better Things mm-hmm. or, you know, like Togetherness that I think have some of the same... Not like, uh, not obviously story beats, but maybe some of the same like aesthetic kind of qualities that mm-hmm. your show has. But I was wondering whether or not there was other stuff on TV that you were seeing that you were like, this gives me hope that I can do something like this on on HBO or on just on television. Not really. It wasn't like we're like, oh, let's do Better Things meets Glee. You know, it yeah, wasn't right. like that at all. It's just like, we just wanted something very naturalistic, slice of life, um, nothing snarky because that just didn't, it just doesn't, I've seen it, you know, like I don't yeah. want to do that. And I don't think any of us did. And something that focused on the Midwest in like a way maybe doesn't get done a lot or hasn't been done or whatever, you know, there was like no roadmap. It was, everything is just sort of like, that feels good. If that feels fake, take it out. And just sort of hoping for the best. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of hope and rolling the dice and hoping for the best. Can you tell me a little bit about how about that for a TV formula? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Hope for the best. <laughs> sure, that's going to give Casey and Amy a lot of confidence. But, you know, it, it, that works for us. Can you tell me a little bit about the writing process? Because, like, one of the joys of this show mm-hmm. is 
you you can tell there's like a joke in the script somewhere mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, I, I could name any number of scenes and I, I don't want to give much away about the second season because people haven't had a chance to see it yet. But there are especially moments with, you know, you and Joel in the first episode even where I'm like, oh, this is great. Like, what a, what a great, like, idea that's been executed here with Joel's Airbnb situation yeah. and stuff like that. But it feels so organic and, like, it's just rolling out of you two that yeah. I'm curious where the line between, like, hey, let's get on set and let's sort of let this scene play out right, versus, like, like, it's on the page. What's so. scripted, what's improv kind of thing. Yeah. Well, the good... the What works to our benefit is that I'm in the writer's room, so... And I know how I speak, right? Like, I right. know how I, I kind of, my cadence and how I talk. And and so, you know, we get together, we kick around the ideas, we come up with the story ideas and and the themes. And if it makes me cry, then it stays. <laughs> if it doesn't. Um, but we we mostly stick to the page, you know. But then we, you know, we, we mess around a little bit, but never like with the intention of kind of slamming jokes, you know. It yeah. just doesn't, it's just not the feel. Like, and if we're ever in the editing room and you can kind of just see if something feels like it's, we're trying to make each other laugh as like in conversation, but as part of the character and not like, oh, I thought of this joke. This is wait till I tell them this one. You know, <laughs> like that just never it just never works. It feels inauthentic to our our world. Well, the one of my favorite parts about the show is how a joke will happen. And even in the show, like people will have a like laugh a little laugh. Yeah. And then the scene lasts long enough that the laughter dies out. Yeah. And then people are kind of back in their own shit. Sort yeah. of like they're like, oh yeah. Uh. <laughs> I like that, but that's like my favorite part of life, yeah. right? Like my favorite part of life is like, you know, was it was Steel Magnolia's laughter through tears is my favorite emotion or whatever the thing is. But like it, it's it's true. I I like that the show has the room to kind of laugh and reset. It just makes it feel to me natural, I yeah. guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean it feels makes like, it makes the show feel more organic. It makes yeah. it feel alive. And there's like one, there's like a scene, this is there's like a scene in season one where like Joel goes running after his dog and yeah. like and we just sort of let it go for a while, but it was so delightful just watching him. I'm like, if we like watching this in the editing room, let's just keep it in the show and see if we can get away with it. But then this show's <laughs> still tight. It's still like these are like 26 minute episodes. That's the thing yeah. that's wondrous about it is that you're like, I've seen like this entire tapestry of humanity and these episodes yeah. are also like they go by, you know. Well, you want to you you want to keep it neat and tidy as a pen. You know, there's no <laughs> yeah. we want we really treat each episode like a very special little gem and if it ends up being like 23 minutes then it's 23 minutes but it, there's no it has to have a reason to be there yeah um and you know carolyn has such an exacting eye and hbo you know amy gravitt and pia and everybody they just really they're very smart about like just trimming the fat and i'm no nah, i'm not gonna say that my mistake so sometimes i just yam- yammer yammer on because i got nowhere else to go you know <laughs> Were you going to say you can cut stuff from your stage show like you're you're exacting like that or no? I, I want to think I am, but that's just not true. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be precise. It's just not true. Um, I want to ask a little bit about this idea of Manhattan that you've got in the show because I know obviously it's not all shot in Manhattan mm-hmm. and it's the B-roll stuff and exteriors, yeah. but I've never been. I was conversant in Bill Snyder's like, you know, Kansas yeah. State football team. That's yeah. about the extent of it. Um, how different is the somebody somewhere Manhattan to the real Manhattan? That's such a good question. But when I, when I go back, and I've been back a lot recently for various reasons, um, people are like, we really feel like you nailed it. And I'm like, really? You know, but I, I really try to be, you know, include as many local businesses, but also it's like the flavor. It's like the way people talk, how people would react. You know, it's like, 
in, in, you know, I live in New York, so there's a lot of people that um, have spent some time with mental health care professionals. Yes. And I'm not saying that people in the Midwest haven't, but the people in my life are a little more, haven't really done that as much. DIY when it yeah, comes to that so stuff. It's just yeah. the way that you kind of react to things and the way you deal with things is a little bit different. And it's just like, it's just as important as the actual words that come out of the mouth, you know, like that sort of language of the the feel of the place. And I did this thing, um, not to brag, but my hometown did a Bridget Everett Day. And did I got really, it was really cool. I got to go home. I, I was like, this is going to be so weird. But I went to like City Park and they had like, you know, step and repeat and like all these people from the community came out and some of my old teachers, my old voice teacher was there. When I pulled up, I started crying right away. Oh it was gosh. like, it was very overwhelming the the response was like overwhelmingly positive like thank you for uh for getting us right yeah and i like i have such a i'm i look at everything cuz i want it to feel if it doesn't feel like kansas it goes you know we we all want everything to feel as authentic as possible and of course you know we probably mess up here and there but really and paul and hannah are both midwestern so they have that vibe and yeah, it's just a, it's just a slightly different feel now you do you mostly cast the show with chicago performers for like all the like the parts outside, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. they're such a great resource. That's part of the reason we wanted to shoot there. Yeah, because um, you have that that wealth of great Chicago Second City actors, you know. And we've had some wonderful people. And then, you know, even Mike Haggerty, who was cast out of L.A., but he's you know he's Chicago, so he's got that feel. You yeah. Know? So it was it's uh we're really fortunate that way. And then we also have. Um, the season one and season two were both sort of shot in, in a window when the Dick Wolf shows had a, a break. So we get the great crew. You know, they got, they're tight. They, you know, because we work very quickly. We yeah. shoot sometimes. Quicker than Chicago PD or? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, you know, we sometimes we're, you know, we're shooting like from like four or five different episodes in one day and you're doing like eight or 10 scenes. It, oh goes, it goes pretty quickly. Just because you're doing like different block, like shooting for locations. Yeah, and there's stuff. like block shooting, block shooting, location, um, budget. Yeah. Um, you know, it's sort of every every reason under the sun. They, they, they run a tight ship. <laughs> Is this a show that, because I've seen in a few interviews you reference being in the editing room. Is this a show that you think you discover more in post or that it's pretty much by the time you're cutting it, it's like, that was what, like, is it something where you're like, Oh, like, let's find this rhythm differently in, in editing. I I think it's so much about post. And I thought I was going to hate it because I hate watching myself, but I love it. I love like, and we have such great editors and especially second season. They really sort of get our pace, but like, you know, we, it's, it's, it's frame by frame. It's really thinking about things and, and not being indulgent, but letting a, a scene play out, and I think it's really fascinating. It's one of the, it's one of the highlights of this for me, you know, because I was a, you know, a, a singer and a, mm-hmm. I write my own shows and songs and things with with my band and whatnot. But um, but the 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 education that yeah. I've gotten on the show, film work school, at, film school with yeah. like some of the best people. It's like that's just as valuable as doing the actual show itself. You mentioned New York. Uh, it's funny. I was like, I've been spending a lot of time in my hometown, which is Philly, but like I've mm-hmm. been going back and forth a lot more. And it's really interesting to go back and spend more time there and see it through like older eyes. Yeah, different way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think, this is sort of a strange question, but do you think you could have made this show if you hadn't left, essentially? Like, Never. Yeah. Like, Never. is it something about the distance from, from home that makes it, Clearer yeah, it, and and also like even after the pilot, like 
having gone back and spent a little time there, like when I left for, you know, when I left Manhattan, Kansas, I couldn't get away fast enough. I was like, get yeah. me out of here. Which, yeah, I think a lot of people feel uh, yeah. about their home. Yeah. And there yeah. was a time in my life where I didn't go home for about five years. I just, just didn't, it wasn't any other reason. I just didn't feel like doing it. I just yeah. didn't feel like it. But now, you know, I'm older, whatever. I always thought Kansas was beautiful, but I, I find it to be especially beautiful now, like especially taking the time to sit down and do B-roll and all that business. But what's also really cool about it is my oldest brother, Brad, still lives there. My best friend that I, you know, known since we both came from home from the hospital, she still lives there. And it's the way that they integrate and act with the community around them that is, after living in New York and hustling and, yeah. and thinking about just myself for a long time, you know, my brother's whole thing is like family first. I'm like, oh, whatever. But I was like, oh, it's actually... <laughs> Pretty yeah. nice. And if I ever need anything, you know, he's the boots on the ground out there helping me. Stephanie, my friend, is out there helping me. You know, they're always doing things for their neighbor. They're doing things for other people. And and I I just find that really beautiful. Yeah. You know, and, and especially after a long time in New York. Especially <laughs> after a long time in New York. And my friends there are wonderful. They're my family, you know, but but it's a different kind of thing. It's just a different mindset. When did you move to New York? Oh God, I have no idea. It must have been ninety-seven or something 97? like that. Yeah, yeah I've been I moved there, a long there in two thousand. Yeah, so I was there for for ten years, and yeah, I mean, it's just like it's the yeah. best place in the world, but it's yeah. also it doesn't make you. Uh, it's not like a finishing school for anywhere else. It's like yeah. it kind of destroys your ability to live anywhere. Else. Yeah, it does. I mean, the food, the people, the shows. I mean, if I didn't move to New York, I never would have been able to do the show. I, you know, I met. The, the, you know, I met Sweetie, who was a very influential drag queen. I met Murray Hill. I met, you know, I went to Kiki and Herb shows. I went to all these like wildly alive downtown shows. Yeah. And I had no idea that that world existed. And so it sort of blew the, blew the roof off my brain and let me tap into something other than just karaoke bars where I go wild is like living. Like finding a way to sing and that I I felt like I could excel at and that I and that challenged me and that and that made me alive and excited and learning how to tell stories and learning how to do all this stuff. And and by doing that in clubs for 15 years or all over, you know, wherever you do it, you you kind of learn to be a little bit faster on your feet. And I got a little confidence. Well, your I mean, passion becomes your craft, right? Yeah, your passion becomes your craft. And but using those, I needed those tools to be able to do this, you know? Yeah. I know. If I would have shown up and had this opportunity when I was 21 years old, I'd I'd be in debt. <laughs> I'd be in debt. I'm in prison or dead. <laughs> dead in prison. I don't know. I just, I don't know. Things took the time they took for me and and I've learned, I'm, I think I figured it out. Do you feel like, I just, this is actually just pure personal curiosity. Do you feel like uh, 21 year old you or whenever, however old you were when you moved to New York? If you move to New York in 2023, is there still like, uh, is it economically viable to go and just be like, I'm going to wait tables and be an artist and like, no. yeah, <laughs> no. Do you think everybody says that 20 years after they've like, I, cause I agree with you and I lived in New York and was like, I just worked at a record store and went yeah. to shows all the time. And yeah, but I, I don't, I don't know how I would do that now. I don't know. I don't know how I did it. You know, as, as, as I. I mean, you know, I lived with Mary Catherine, who plays Trisha for years, and you know, I'd borrow money from her. She'd pay my rent. She'd be on Broadway, and and I don't know how I did it. Where did you guys live? We when lived you're... on the Upper West Side. Okay. Then we lived together for almost ten years, um, and now now we're on a in a in a in a ground level apartment with a 
I'd like to say no rodents, but we got our fair share. Yeah. <laughs> Cockroaches. We live next to a pizza place. I mean, it was a mess. That's rough. But, you know. Well, they got a rat czar in New York now, so they're going to take care of it. Did oh, you see yeah. that, that lady got we'll hired? See. Yeah. yeah, I saw that. I was like, what a job. <laughs> How do you throw your hat in the ring for that? But good for her. I can't wait. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for coming by. I is love this second season. Yeah, we're all good. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is great, you know. Yeah. Unless you got any questions or you got no, anything. watch somebody somewhere, you know. Yeah. You're going to like it. God bless HBO. <laughs> Thank you so much for Thank This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.